Okay, let me pray and we'll get going with our session. Father, we do worship you as the uncreated one and you are God. And I thank you, Father, for how you speak into our lives. I thank you that you have something for us, each one of us here in this room, in this coming time. And I pray that, Father, you would quiet our hearts, that we would hear and we would listen. And um, we just ask that, Father, you would be glorified. May we come away from this session wanting you more, wanting life with you more, no matter the cost. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, what I'd like to do to start off is I'm going to read some descriptions to you. And I want you to, to just raise your hand if um, if you think you know who this is. This is these descriptions are your counselors, okay? So you should, you'll know, know their names, but um, this doesn't count for any kind of points, okay? But just raise your hand. Okay, his first name, and, and counselors cannot answer, okay? Because you, you would know this, but his first name is actually John. Anybody know? Okay, well, hold off. Well, let me read the whole description. He's actually legally blind. He enjoys exercising. Who is this? Any, any guesses? So he wears glasses. So, yes. Not Ben. Any? Reuben. Yes, that is correct. So that is Reuben. So, okay. We go to a girl counselor now. So um, she loves coffee. She has a, a cartilage piercing and she lives 10 hours away. Do who, um, I don't know who went first. So we'll just start with Marietta in the back. Sarah, that is correct. So yes, good. Okay. All right. Here's the next one. Um, so she, another girl counselor, she speaks French. She's been to Switzerland and she has flown a plane. Pretty cool stuff. Any, any guesses? It's one of the people in this room right now. Who would you say it is? Just someone want to guess? Start making guesses. Start looking around at the girl counselors and make guesses. <laughs> okay, yes. Not Caroline. So you eliminated uh, Kristen? Not Emily. Yeah, Philip. Okay, yeah. Not Elizabeth. Yeah. No, not Maggie. David. Joel, yes. Can you say something in French for us? <laughs> <laughs> All right, she's going to say something in French for us. Maybe like, uh, this is this weather is hot. How would you say that? Okay, yeah. I don't know French, so that sounded pretty good to me. Um, yeah, okay. Um, here's a, a guy counselor. He likes to be outside. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he owns a truck, and he... Um, and... <laughs> It's his first year to be a counselor, okay? So, uh, okay, we'll go with you. Jonathan is correct. 
All right. Well, this is our last one. Um, he enjoys being a reenactor and going to reenacting events. He is self-employed, so he actually owns his own business. He's the oldest counselor here. Okay, yes, um, Nathaniel nailed it. It is his brother Andrew. So, uh, so um, I want to ask you a question, and I don't want an answer out loud. I want you to just think about this question. How would you describe someone who is a follower of Jesus? If I were to say, what are some descriptions of someone who is born again? What would you say? What, and I don't want an answer, okay? So just think about it. Would you create a list? Maybe the list would look something like this. They're a nice person. They're a good, dependable friend. Uh, they, they read their Bible. They pray. Maybe they're really successful in school, or if it's an older person, they maybe make a lot of money. They're rich. You know, they're, they're, they go to church on a regular basis. Now, we would expect that to be true of a Christian. And yet, those descriptions don't necessarily describe a true follower of Jesus. You could do all of those things and not be a real Christian. You could do all those things and feel an emptiness inside. Not have life like Mr. Nuremberg was talking about. You're doing the right things. You have the vocabulary. But you're, you know, there's, there's just not life there. You don't have the life. One day someone came up to Jesus and he would have filled in the description of a good Christian. Uh, he did all the right things. And yet he was lacking something and he knew it. And so he came to Jesus with the most, most important question you could ask Jesus. And we're going to be looking at this in just a moment. But there's a question that I want us to consider throughout this session, this afternoon, and it's there in your notes. How would you describe... Thank you. Okay, yeah, let's try this. There we go. All right, perfect. Thanks so much, Sarah. How would you describe someone who has life with God, both now and forever? How would you describe someone who has life with God, a born-again Christian, a follower of Jesus? What, how would you describe that, that person? What does that person look like? These are all questions that relate to this one, just another way of saying it. But how would you describe someone that has life with, with God? Who, who are saved people? What do they look like? And I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 19. This passage answers that question of who is saved. Some people uh, say the, the passage is more like how you can be saved, but I would say it's more about who, who is saved. Not so much how, but who. What are descriptions of, of people who uh, have a relationship with God, who, who have life, like Mr. Nuremberg was saying. So 
Turn to, to Matthew 19 to verse 16. Matthew 19, 16. And I want you to imagine that you've never heard this story before. It's really well-known. It's the rich young ruler. So um, very, very much well-known story. And let's start reading in verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now, we read this and we start to wonder, at least maybe some of us, who is this guy? Like, we're just told it's a guy that comes. And in fact, in the the original language, which was Greek, that's what the New Testament was written in, it doesn't even say man, it just uses like a pronoun, he, and um, and all of that is to point to the question. That's the point. The, the main thing of this verse, the emphasis is on this question that the guy asks. Who he is, it doesn't really come up yet. We don't know anything. We just know it's a guy that comes to Jesus, and he asks this this question. So, the emphasis is on the question, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And I want us to, in our dorm groups, I want you to answer that question there. What is this guy asking? Like, break it down. Make some observations. Come up with maybe two or three, or I have four here, of what exactly does this guy want? Because he's come to Jesus for a reason, and he's asked this question. What is he trying to to understand or get or what's the answer he's looking for. Okay, so try to make some observations in your, your dorm talk group, okay? We'll give like maybe three, four minutes for you guys to, to work together, and then I'm going to call on some groups to, to answer that question, okay? So maybe like two or three minutes. We don't have a ton of time um, because we want to do this again later, so um, but at least like two or three minutes to, to answer that question. What exactly is this guy asking? So ma- just make some observations about the question. Okay, so go to it. Go for it. All right. So again, I know you could probably spend a lot more time going through this, but we'll pause here. We're going to get to another question in just a moment. Um, but let's let's here's some answers from you guys. Um, so let's start with you guys up front. Yeah. What's, what's something to note about this question here? Okay. He's trying to build up his way to salvation. He wants to do something. What good deed? So in his mind, he thinks he can do something. He wants to do it, whatever it is. Maybe it's a heroic act. But he wants to do something. He thinks he can do something good enough. He thinks. That's what he thinks. Okay, what else? Um, let's go to someone on this side. Let's start in the back over here. The guys group in the back. What, what's something else to note about this question? He's looking for eternal life. That's the end result. Do something I want eternal, I want to get eternal life. And in a moment, we're going to have you guys ponder as a group, what is eternal life? We've already heard some answers to that question, which is so cool because, um, I worked on this before, uh, this, this morning. And I feel like Mr. Nurmerg really answered that question already for us. But, um, anyway, yeah, he wants eternal life. Um, 
What else could you say is being implied about him coming to Jesus? What does that imply? The fact that he's come to Jesus. What is what does that mean? He knows there's something missing in his life. He doesn't have it yet. And in fact, we're going to see he's willing to even admit he is lacking. There's something I'm lacking. So he's willing to admit he doesn't have eternal life. And so he wants to do something good. And there's one other thing to note um, just now is if I'm sitting at dinner with you and I were to say, please pass the salt, what does that mean? I don't have the salt. And so he comes to Jesus because he thinks Jesus has the answer. He hopes Jesus has the answer. And so that's why he's come. And he says, teacher, you know, what must I do? Okay, great. You guys really thought through that really well. Uh, He's missing something in life, and he knows Jesus has the answer. And so he's willing to come and and ask Jesus, "What, what do I need to do to have eternal life? Okay, so take some time and answer the next question there in your groups. What is eternal life? Because that's what he's after ultimately. He's asking about eternal life. He wants to do something to get it. And uh, what is eternal life? We've already heard about it. So uh, what would, what? yeah, take some time. Again, pretty quick, maybe two minutes. And, um, and then we'll, we'll talk about it together. Um. Let's think about this some more together. These are great answers, by the way. Um, think about what is life. Um, some people I read said, and I thought this was a good description of life. Life is when you're able to respond to what's around you. Um, a dead squirrel on the road is, is not going to be able to respond to the repeated vehicles riding over its dead body, Right? It's dead. It cannot respond, right? It doesn't have life anymore. It can't get up and move over. It's dead. So having life is you're able to respond to what's, what's around you. Um, to eternal life is when you're able to respond to eternal things, to the eternal one. It means you're alive to God. Like y'all said, the group over here said, it's life with God. You're alive to God. You're in a a right relationship with God. And it's something that continues for eternity. In fact, um, the phrase eternal life is really only seen three times in the book of Matthew. Twice in this passage, here, a few verses down, and then later on in, in, in another passage in Matthew, and it, it talks about, it compares eternal life and eternal punishment, and life being what continues on. You continue on with God after death and eternal life. But as we heard this morning from Mr. Nuremberg, it's not just a future thing. It's something that you enjoy now. It's life that Jesus offers, and it's a relationship with him. You're alive to him. And... Um, and it continues on. And so each of us as humans, though, are not naturally alive to God. We're spiritually dead, right? Scripture tells us we're spiritually dead. We are not born with eternal life. 
Um, so not everyone has eternal life. And this guy realizes it, right? He doesn't have it. That's why he's come to Jesus. He hopes Jesus can answer that question. Because we don't naturally have eternal life. Um, Adam and Eve brought sin and death in. And, and therefore, we, we all now are spiritually dead. We are not alive um, we can't generate our life in ourselves. So, um, so we need Jesus. And so this guy comes to Jesus with this question, what, what good deed? And, and so Jesus responds and he answers that question. Let's look at verse 17. This is where he begins his response to this guy here. Um, and he said to him, why do you ask me what is good? There's only one who is good. I think Jesus is challenging this guy in two ways. He's challenging this guy to see if he really believes that Jesus has the answer. Uh, He's kind of, oh, you you want to do a good deed? Well, why are you asking me what's good? There's only one who is good. So do you really believe I have the answer? So I think that's one thing that Jesus is doing in, in asking this question to this guy in verse 17. But I also think there's another thing that he's doing, and that is, if there's only one who's good, can anyone else do good? And the answer is no. (laughs) Only God is good. Meaning, buddy, you don't have hope. (laughs) You're not good. You think you're good enough to do something good, but there's only one who is good. So again, this guy thinks, oh, I can do something good. And Jesus is like, wait a minute, you're not good. Okay, there's only one who's good. There's only one who can do good. And you're not it. You're not the one. And so Jesus also makes this statement at the end of verse 17. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. So Jesus says, if you want to have life, Obey the commandments. And he's, he's speaking truth here. If a person could perfectly keep all the commandments perfectly, they would have a right relationship with God. But there's only been one person who's ever been able to do that, and that was Jesus. And he had life with God. But no one else can do it. We cannot keep the commandments. We can't do it because we're spiritually dead. And so we're not like Jesus. We have a bent towards breaking the commandments and not keeping the, the law and the commandments. In fact, the commandments should point us to the fact that we need a savior, that we can't do it. We're not good enough. And, and so Jesus challenges him and says, well, keep, keep the commandments. Um, and, and so the guy asks for clarification. Which ones? And Jesus says, well, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, do those sound familiar? Where are those coming from? Okay, Ten Commandments. Yeah, what were you going to Same thing. Yeah, the Ten Commandments. Right, commandment number six, seven, eight, nine. He jumps back to five with honor your parents. Uh, then he pulls out another command, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, which is actually in Leviticus, but 
Um, later on, Jesus is going to say that is one of the commandments that sums up the whole law. One being love God and then love your neighbor as yourself. That Those sum up the whole of the law. Um, you could say that these are like the horizontal commandments in the fact that these are commands that have to do with relating to our neighbor or other people. These commands do have to deal with that. Um, and um, how do we treat other people? That's what these commands cover. And, and notice in verse 20 what this guy says. And again, if we could read this in the Greek, we would see that he's going to emphasize that he has kept all of them. All these I have kept. And, and really the emphasis is I've done it all. And yet notice at the end of verse 20 what he says. What do I still lack? I've, I've kept the law. I've been a nice person. In other gospels, we actually read that he's a ruler, which probably meant he was a, a leader in the local synagogue. So meaning he was probably very religious and he kept the law. He was a, probably a, a really nice guy. And yet there was something lacking. Something still missing. And that's surprising because, again, it, the description of this guy, to list it off, it sounds pretty good. Seems like he would have what we would say is what a born-again Christian should look like and how that person should be described. Not only did he keep the law, he was a nice person, religious uh, we also read later on that he had a lot of money or possessions. He was wealthy. And back in that day and time, if you were wealthy, it was thought that surely God is blessing you. You have favor with God. You're a spiritual person. You have life. You must have eternal life if you're wealthy because God is blessing you. And so they kind of had that mindset. That's a description of, a, of a, what we would call a, a Christian. And yet, that's not the case with this guy. There's still something lacking. So, what does that mean for us? Well, it means that maybe our thoughts of what a Christian is could be wrong. Like, people that grow up in the church aren't necessarily followers of Jesus. They're not automatically followers of Jesus. Um. Maybe people who have godly parents, maybe you have a godly heritage. Those people aren't necessarily followers of Jesus. They don't necessarily have life, eternal life. Um, you know, we think surely if people are good people, they're kind, they're loving. Surely those are the people who have life and they're Christians. No, we can be really kind. We can be really nice people just like this guy and still not have life. Still not have it. And so this is kind of the first description here. Someone who, who is one who, who's following Jesus and has been born again. And it's that you realize that you're lacking. There's something, you, you're thirsty. You realize your thirst. Like Mr. Nuremberg said earlier, we're all thirsting, but you realize it. You realize, I need a Savior. I need someone. I, there's something missing. And that's kind of the first 
if, if that's you, you're heading in the right direction. If you're realizing, wait a minute, maybe I don't have life. You're heading down the right path. That's a good thing to come to that place. But it's not quite enough because that's where this guy is. And we're going to see he ends up not having life as far as we know. Maybe things changed later on. But this is a, the starting point, realizing I don't have it. There's something lacking. I'm, I'm thirsty. You're aware of your thirst, though we all thirst. And so after saying, what do I still lack? Jesus says this. If you would be perfect, what does Jesus mean there? He, he has, perfect has the idea of if you want to be complete, meaning if you want to stop having that sense of lacking, here's what you need to do. This is it. You want completeness? Here's, here's completeness. Here it is. And, and, and so Jesus gives three main actions here that further describe this, um, well, gives this further description of someone who has life with God. And so he goes on and, and he says this, Go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. I want to break down this statement and, and look at this together. What is Jesus doing when he says, go and sell what you possess and, and give to the poor? Well, what Jesus is doing is he's exposing what this guy truly values. In fact, he's, he's exposing what this guy looks to for life. Where is he finding life? We were challenged with that earlier with Mr. Nuremberg's session. And, and that's kind of what Jesus is he's doing. He's, he's saying, go and sell because it's going to show what he really values. Does he value what Jesus says or does he value something else? And we see he values something else. You see, when Jesus listed off those commands, he didn't list like the first couple of commands, right? Those are the commands that have to do with our relationship with God, like you shall have no other God beside me. This guy was breaking those commands, and he's just exposing that to him. He didn't have a little idol set up in his house, but his God was possessions. Because when Jesus says go and sell, his response in verse 22 is he just goes away, and he's sad because he had a lot of possessions. He valued his possessions more than he valued who Jesus is. And his possessions are what he looked to for life. And it captivated his heart. And that was an idol. An idol is something that dictates your life. That was his God. It dictated his life. When he was given the option of you can go with Jesus or you can stay and live an unsatisfied Lacking life, what are you going to choose? And his choice was, I'd rather have this unsatisfied, un, well, unfulfilling, lacking life if I can keep my possessions. That's what he chose. And it was his idol. It dictated his choices. That's what an idol is. It, it's what he valued the most. And I think it's important for us to realize if we have idols and 
we do make idols in our lives. What is it, Calvin, that says our heart is an idol factory? Those idols can never satisfy. It didn't satisfy this guy. He, he, he knew he was lacking. And idols don't truly satisfy. And so the guy, Jesus tells the guy, go sell them, get rid of them, and give to the poor. Show love to the poor around you. The, the poor in Jesus' day were really poor. Like if you've ever been to a third world country and you've seen poor people, I've been overseas and they're poor and they don't have any help. Um, here in America, we have all kinds of programs to help people that don't have much money. And that's great. But you go to other societies and cultures, there's not much help for those people. And same with Jesus' day, like there's not much hope for poor people. And, and he had a lot so he, he could go and give and really meet some needs and love other people by selling his possessions. And so Jesus says, stop valuing those things, help the needy. And here's something else that's really important to note. As far as we know, this guy had never met Jesus before. Why is that significant? Because Jesus knew what exactly was going on in this guy's heart. Jesus knows what's exactly going on in your heart and my heart. It may not be possessions that I value. Like Mr. Nuremberg was saying, it was relationships that he valued. That was his idol. It may not be for you possessions. So Jesus going to you and saying, if you would be perfect, if you, if you want to be complete, you want that sense of fulfillment, you want life, it may not be go sell in possessions. It might look like stop living for people's approval. Stop worshiping your body and your body image. That might be what he would say to you. But he knows. Um, he knows what's going on in your heart. So what do we value? What dictates our lives? What are we looking to for life? And as long as we hold on to those things, we're never going to f- feel that sense of completeness in Christ that Christ offers. If we're holding on to that, we're, we're going to be lacking too. We're not going to have that sense of fulfillment that Jesus can give. So those who have life with God, not only do they realize they're lacking and they're insufficient, but they value God supremely and love others. And really, this sums up the the main description of any born-again believer. Ultimately, they value God and they love others. If you remember last year, Mr. Gros talked about that in his sessions here at the youth conference. The supreme command is to love God and love our neighbor, love others. And it's not that we do this perfectly, okay? Don't, don't get me wrong. Um, I still have things that, that I have to uh, confess to the Lord because they're idols in my heart. But, um, but we still, we value God supremely. And we love others. That's what Jesus is calling this guy to do. Stop valuing your possessions. Value me above all else. And then notice what he says to the guy next. Sell, go and sell, essentially, and you will have treasure in 
heaven. What, what's Jesus doing? This guy right now is living for the present moment. What he can get out of life, out of his possessions. He's living for the temporal. And, and one of the problems about having money, which all of us in this room, whether you feel like a, a poor high school student or college student, we have a lot. If you've, again, if you've ever been overseas to a country that is poor, some people just have like one pair of shoes and one pair of clothes, and that's it. How many pairs of shoes and clothes do we have? Like compared to the rest of the world, we're pretty wealthy here. We're pretty well off. And, um, and the problem with that wealth is we tend to just live for the newest iPhone, the newest computer or laptop or getting a nice car, and we live for the now. And Jesus is calling this guy to trust him about the future, that if he does this, he'll have treasure in heaven. He'll have something there later on. And he's calling this guy to live for, the, for eternity, to live for eternity. Uh, I wish I, I had a whiteboard um, here because I, I want to show you something that was explained to me when I was a student. It's been illustrated in other ways, um, but uh, this is the way I learned it. And again, you, you, maybe you've seen this kind of illustration before, but you know, so often we view life as... This long line, and, and then eternity is kind of out there in, in the future. And so we've got all this to live, and then some, eventually, there's eternity. But really, the biblical perspective is more like this. Life is a vapor. It's going to go like that. And then eternity just keeps going, and it doesn't end. And life is short. That's what the Bible says. And yet we're so tempted to just live for the now. And Jesus is calling this guy to live for the, the eternal things. You'll have treasure in heaven. Live, trust me. He's going to have to trust him because he's not going to see that treasure right away. And, and so that's another description here of someone who has life with God. Is they, they're willing to trust the Lord and live with an eternal mindset. This guy's going to have to believe that when Jesus says you will have treasure, that he's being honest. He doesn't know. He's not going to really know until heaven. And so he's calling him. Jesus is calling him to trust him, to have an eternal mindset. Uh, I know a very godly man who was a pastor. He's retired now. And in his study, he had the word eternity. And it was to him just that constant reminder to live for eternity because this life is passing. And it doesn't feel like it when you're age. Um, but definitely, the, the older you get, you realize, uh, yeah, life is going pretty quick. It's not going to be long before we're the ones up here, you know, <laughs> doing that sort of thing and talking about our gray hairs and, and all um, and then once it's done, it's done. You can't go back in time. You can't portal back in time. And yet he's calling him to live for treasure in heaven, not for the present world. All right. So Jesus says, go and sell. Value him, not his possessions. You'll have treasure in heaven. And then he tells him one more thing. Look at the end of verse 21. Come, come. 
follow me. Now, we heard about that a little bit in the session this morning with Mr. Nuremberg. And there's a lot that we could say. We could spend a lot of time considering what does Jesus mean when he says, come, follow me. In fact, here at the school, we have a whole class on what does that really mean. We spend maybe, what, two weeks or so. So it's not like like nine weeks or something, but uh, we spend a good amount of time just considering what does it really mean when Jesus says, follow me? Because he, he calls people to that and he invites people to do that. And I want to just briefly cover this now. It's super brief because like I said, we could spend a lot of time thinking about it. But I want to go back to when Jesus first called Peter at the very beginning of, of Matthew, it's found in Matthew chapter 4. Turn there quickly. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. We're just going to read it, make a few comments, because we're running out of time. But this is when Matthew or Peter was called. Jesus is assembling his disciples, this group of people that are going to be journeying with him. And and he's walking by the Sea of Galilee, chapter 4, verse 18, Matthew four eighteen. He says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. We read Jesus doing this with other people like Matthew, the guy who actually wrote this gospel, had a similar encounter with Jesus where Jesus comes to him and says, you know, follow me. Um, so what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, it means to at least two, two things that we'll note here because, again, time constrains us. But uh, to follow Jesus means basically journeying with him. Like he's going somewhere. Peter and Andrew, they're fixing their nets and all. He's on his way somewhere. For them to follow Jesus means they're going to have to stop their fishing and join him in what Jesus is doing. So it means going where he leads. He's got a plan. Jesus was assembling his disciples. He's got a purpose and a plan. He's, he's doing the Father's will, and he's saying to these guys, come on, come with me. I, I'm going a certain direction. You come and join me. So you're following him. He leads, you join him in what he is doing. Following him also means being with him. Like if they had stayed behind fishing, Jesus would have kept going. They wouldn't have interacted. But he says, follow me. And they do, they join him and they're with him for about two to three years. They get to see incredible things as they're following him. And they have a personal relationship with him. And that's another description of someone who's entered into life, who has life. The one who, um, who's following Jesus is one who, this last description, they let Jesus lead and enjoy a personal relationship with him. You might think, well, Jesus has ascended into heaven. How do we follow him? Physically impossible, right? True. And yet Jesus still calls us to follow him. It's interesting, at the end of the book of John, 
Jesus is, you know, going to ascend into heaven soon. He's talking to Peter about what Peter should be doing while he is gone. And he, he says, follow me. Uh, and, and the idea is, even though I'm leaving, you still follow me. That even though he's not physically, we still are called to follow Jesus, just like these disciples. To journey with him, to let him lead, to be with him, to have a relationship with him. So, what kind of person is the one who enters into life? How would you describe someone that has life with God? Let me sum it up in this way. It's the person that realizes their insufficiency. They value Jesus. They trust in Jesus, and they personally follow Jesus. It's that kind of person that has life. And it's not to say that they do it perfectly, but they value God above anything else. It's like Mr. Nuremberg was saying it. They actually do something because Jesus speaks and they do it. They act on it. It's not just a confession with their mouth, but there's, there's a result. There's a difference in the way they live. And finally, going back to, to chapter 19, we see this guy's response here. And Mr. Nurmer alluded to it earlier, and, and it's really sad, and I mentioned it as well. But when the man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He walked away from this offer of life. Why? Because he valued his possessions more than Jesus, more than God. So, um, again, we would have thought this guy had reached life based on his description. He was wealthy. He was a nice person. He was a religious person. And yet, he, he didn't have it. He was lacking. Where are you at if you're being honest? Where are you at this, this afternoon? Do, do these descriptions describe you at all? And I want to encourage you to get alone, to, to be honest with the Lord. Just ask him, Lord, where am I at? Like, does this describe me, that I'm trusting in you? Um, is something dictating my life other than you? Do I have an idol? Lord, am I too proud to even admit I'm lacking in life? Am I willing to admit it, that I am insufficient? And so we, there's some questions here at the, the bottom of your notes. That Again, I want to, you to... We're going to take some time to just go and be alone. And um, I want you to just be honest. You don't need to show this to anybody. It might come up in your dorm talk. I don't know. It depends on what your dorm talk leaders want to do. But um, yeah, what do you value in life? Do any of the things you value in life... (laughs) Do anything of the things, but really you could say, do any of the things you value in life rival how much you value God? Is there a rival in your heart? Another way you could ask this is, what dictates your choices in life? For the rich young ruler, it was his love of his possessions 
that ultimately dictated his life and his choice? What influences your choices in in life? Uh, Is it Jesus? Which of these descriptions of these four that we've worked through sounds the least like you? Like, do you struggle in letting the Lord lead your life? Do you struggle maybe to trust the Lord? What is the least description of you? Where, where are you struggling in, in these areas? Maybe, maybe you, you don't see your need for him. Maybe you're not letting him lead your life. You have your own idea on how you want the next four years to go. Uh, what is he leading you? So take some time, and I'm going to pray, and then you'll be dismissed and have about 10 or so minutes, and then there's a break time at 3.15, and I think we still will have some snacks for you up in the dining room. But um, take some time now just to be alone, and then at 3.30 is when you should head back to your dorm talk time. You can talk about some of these sessions that we've had Uh, this morning and this afternoon. All right, let me pray and then we can head out. Father, I thank you that you offer us life, true life. It's not like something that you've hidden and we, we have to figure out a way to get there and find it. And, but you've made it so clear to us and, and you've placed it before us. And Father, I pray that you would search our hearts, my heart. To, Father, if I'm valuing something aside from you, show it in order that, that I might get right with you, confess it to you. And so, Father, we pray, have your way in these next few minutes. Speak to our hearts, quiet our hearts, keep us from distraction. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.